Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Robert Glasper kicks off his residency at the Kennedy Center today through September 19th. I spoke with him last year about his accomplished career, from his Grammy-winning work with Kendrick Lamar on These Walls, to his Emmy-winning work with Common on Letter to the Free on the Ava DuVernay documentary 13th. Robert Glasper. Thanks so much for joining us, Robert. No, no problem. Thanks for having me. Now, uh, where are you in, in you, you know, p- pandemic life has been in, insane this year. <laughs> is this your first time back, <laughs> is this your first time back out on the road or where are you? Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm in LA, um, but uh, I came to DC. My first time leaving was, I went to DC. Uh, I played at the, um, the March in Washington. Real quick before we move on, tell me about that. <laughs> what was it like playing at the March? Oh man, that was it was amazing, and to, just to, it was an honor to play there, knowing the history of the march, and you know that's where Martin Luther King did his "I Have a Dream" speech, and seeing other people, you know, there, uh, you know, united, and it just felt like I was a part of history. You know what I mean? And it was me and Derek Hodge and George Clinton, we performed together, so it was a it was a really cool thing, cool experience. Yeah, a very historic time, and so you'll always be able to look back on that for sure. Absolutely. Um, all right, cool. Well, uh, I'm excited uh, about your show. What, uh, what, uh, I don't want you to spoil the set list entirely, but you know, give, give us a little <laughs> teaser on what sort of stuff we're going to hear. Uh, you know what's funny? Before I do shows, I never premeditate really all the songs because I like to read the crowd. You know what I mean? Um, you know, you never know when you go to an audience. My, my audience is so, so, you know, vast. It, it, it really depends. If I have a, a lot of young people that changes my set list. If I have a lot of older people, that changes my set list. If it's in between, that changes my set list. So sometimes I go out there knowing the first song or maybe the first two songs. But other than that, I like to give each audience their own specific show. I try not to come with a preset menu. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let me quarterback this thing a little chronologically. Take me back to the very beginning. You you know, born in Houston in 1978. You know, like who were your music idols back then? Yeah. So my my mom was a singer, uh, and she she sang in all the different kinds of clubs. That that's literally what she did. That's what her job was. So you know, during the week she was singing at a R&B club, at a funk club, at a jazz club, and you know. Even she sang country music. Literally, there was one day a week where she was singing at a barn that had a stage, like literally, like. And then on Sunday more on Sundays, you know, she was the minister of music at the church. So, in my house, you never knew what you were going to walk into the house and what my mom was going to be playing because she's all over the place. You know, she's a musical mutt, which is why I'm like that. You know what I mean? So, I mean, you you could walk in the house, you could be you could 
you can hear Liza Minnelli, you can hear <laughs> Aretha Franklin, you can hear Ella Fitzgerald, you know, you can hear just in anything at my house. So that's the reason why I, I, I love, you know, going through genre so much. And I, I kind of blur the line because I kind of grew up like that, you know? For sure. I love that phrase, musical mutt. I love it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you're, you know, you're growing up around it all, over, you know, all around you. When would you say you took it, you know, seriously as a career? Like, was it, I know you went to, was it New School for Jazz and Contemporary Music in New York? That, that's where, yeah. that's where that's, you met your, your partner in crime there a little bit. But is that when you think yeah. you took it serious? Uh, I think I started taking it serious in 11th grade, maybe. I would say that's when, when it clicked and I was like, I think I want to do this. I was in 11th grade and I, I went to a performing arts high school. So there was a lot of kids my age that loved jazz and that were playing it at a very high level. That loved art in general. Everybody in my school was very high level. So, you know, it was good competition and it made me thrive to be better. So when I was around 11th grade, that's when I was like, you know what, I think I could do this. And that's when I said, you know, I, I got to go to New York. To make it as a musician, you got to go to New York, you know, especially back then. So that's what I put all my, all, all my, all of my energy to trying to get to New York. You know what I mean? So I auditioned for the new school. I got in, they gave me a full scholarship. And then I just, I, I was out. I actually got my scholarship in 11th grade. Uh, so I got my full scholarship to new school in 11th grade. And I got a full scholarship to Berkeley College of Music in 11th grade. And neither one of those schools, you need an SAT. So I never took the SAT. So when I was a senior in, in high school, all my friends were studying for the SAT. I was just walking around whistling because I already had my full scholarships in the bag. <laughs> hey, you, you never so took it. was awesome. So when you're there, you met Bilal. Bilal, yep, yep. What was that first I meeting met, like? Was that like a seminal moment in your life? Yeah, 100%. Meeting Bilal definitely was a, a shift in my, in my whole life, my career. We met the first day of school because uh, what happens is when you're a freshman at the school, they call all the freshmen in the room and they call you up on stage one by one like to, to form a band. So they'll, they'll call up a random drummer, a random bass player, a random piano player, a random singer and call you up on stage and you have to talk to each other and figure out something to play in front of the rest of the students. And they had they happened to call me and Bilal up on stage together. And I always make the joke, we never left the stage. You know, 20 years later, we're still on the stage together, you know? So the reason, you know, Bilal actually, we, we started, we, we became really tight and one of our teachers knew, had a friend that had a studio around the corner from the school. So he was like, hey, Y'all should go to my friend's studio and record some music. Cause they always saw me and Bilal together working on music in the practice room and they saw something in us. So we ended up going to this guy's house all the time. And it turned out his, his name was Aaron Comis. He was the, the drummer for the Spin Doctors. Oh, nice. And so we recorded Bilal's whole demo there at his house. And at the end of our freshman year, Bilal got signed to a record deal with, with um, Interscope Records. Jimmy Iovine signed him. So, from that point on, you know, I, I was his music director and, you know, we, I helped him do a lot of his album. Album came out, we ended up going on tour a lot, um, opening up for, you know, like Erica Badu and Common and things of that nature, The Roots, you know, so that being with him thrusted me into that hip hop R&B world, you know what I mean? And that's, that's where my, my career really began with this straddling both both lines because of being on the road with Bilal. Then I'm meeting, you know, all the hip hop cats, all the soul R&B cats. And I'm, you know, 
I, I have a rapport with them. At the same time, I was heavy on the jazz scene. So, you know, I'm on tour with Roy Hargrove and Christian McBride and Russell Malone and Terrence Blanchard and Kenny Garrett, all these different people, while at the same time touring with Bilal, doing the soul hip hop R&B thing. So I literally was walking in both things at the same time. So that, that really shaped my career, you know? Well, yeah, and, and and we're all blessed because of it. And a lot of those people you mentioned wind up coming back around featuring on your albums too. So um, that's kind of cool to hear how that all started. Um, gotcha. Well, I mean, man, we, we obviously we don't have time to go through all, all of them, but you know, you exactly. had you had mood, you had canvas, in my element, double booked. You rattled them off, but then you know the one all, all of our listeners will remember is Black Radio in 2013. Uh-huh. Won the Grammy, Best R&B. I think yep. Lupe was on there, Badu, yep. Layla Hathaway. Yep. Oh, um, yeah. Just memories of, of putting that one together. I remember there were some cool covers of like David Bowie, Nirvana. Like th- that album had everything. Remember Memories of putting that together. Oh, yeah, man. That was a, that was a trip. That was a nightmare, actually. <laughs> because, you know, it's an album with, I don't know how many, maybe 12 special guests or something like that. So... You got to think you have each person has a manager, each person has an assistant, each person has a a label, each person has a lawyer. And you have to go through all these people and figure out, you know, uh, scheduling and all these things. So the scheduling stuff was a nightmare. I actually canceled the album like two or three times because I couldn't get the scheduling together. And back then, you know, people were more in the room with each other they weren't so much sending files back and forth. You know what I mean? So I wanted, I had to have everybody in the room because that was my thing. It's a live band with the singers there. And that was my thing. So I actually canceled the record two or three times. And then, you know, one, this one time I was on tour, um, it might've been, you know, I don't know, a six to eight months after I canceled and, or maybe, maybe, maybe a little short, I don't know, four or five months or something, a few months. I'm on tour with my band in Europe and my manager randomly calls me and says, I don't know what happened, but everybody's manager called me and they're all, all the artists are available next week. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, what? Oh snap. So we canceled some of a bunch of my tour and I flew back to, I flew to LA and I actually didn't have enough songs because since we never, since the scheduling never really happened, I never really, got a, a, a strong hold on the guest. I didn't, re- I didn't finish writing the songs or even knew what we were gonna do. So when I got back to LA, I didn't have many songs. That's why I did covers. That's why there's like six covers on the album because I didn't have any songs. Right, so, right. You know, so it was really cool in that respect because it was really like people would get to the studio. I'm like, hey, what do you want to do? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and so it was very much a jazz recording session if you will because it was kind of like you know spared a moment um you know in, in the moment trying to figure stuff out not your typical way of doing a quote-unquote r&b record you know the planning was way more different um with the music but i'm glad i did that because you know i love the way we ended up doing the covers you know what i mean and i love so many genres of music that's why i have nirvana that that's like teen spirit been one of my favorite songs since i was in sixth grade when i when it first came out, you know, I mean, when yeah, I saw so the video, you, were, you had teen spirit, <laughs> I had teen spirit in my pocket at some point, you know, but the cherish the day and the David Bowie, David Bowie drink, that was random as hell. Like that, that album space out of me was, I had it in my iTunes and literally, a, you know, like a week before the recording, 
while up in Europe, I had my iTunes on like, um, you can put it on like a shuffle so it plays random songs from your iTunes. And that song came on, Letter to Hermione. Wow. And as soon as I, and I, and I had never, actually never heard it before. I had the album in my iTunes, but I don't remember ever hearing that song, you know. I think my friend Zach turned me on to the album, you know, and I never really got a chance to check the whole thing out. As soon as it came on, I heard Bilal in my head. I was like, oh my God, this is Bilal will kill this. It's amazing. <laughs> and we got to LA. I sent it, I sent it to Bilal. He learned it on the plane. He flew to LA. We did that song in one take. He's reading the lyrics while he's singing the song. Same thing with Cherish Today. That's one take, one take only. Wow. Matter of fact, that's the sound check because I had to fade it in because right before it fades in, Layla was saying, mic check one, two, one, two, mic check one, two. And she was reading lyrics on her cell phone and that was the first take. And I'm not a fan of doing multiple takes if there's no need for it. I like, I'm more of a first time magic person. Right. Like nine, literally like 95% of anything I've recorded ever is the first take. Even if it, it's just something about the magic of it, the spirit of a first take, you know? So most of the songs on all of my albums are first take. Just most of them, actually. Wow, I didn't know that. That's awesome. <laughs> when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Bradley Trainer, And I'm Don McClain. We have a podcast called Blinded by the Item. A blind item is gossip about a celebrity with their name left out. It's a guessing game and you can play along. The item might be like, this A-list star carries a Birkin bag worth more than the average person's house to the gym to work out. Pretty sure that's J-Lo. And P.S. The person behind all of this is Chris Jenner, LLC. We drop a new episode every weekday so the fun never ends. Blinded by the Item. Listen wherever you get podcasts and watch us on the Blinded by the Item YouTube channel. Um, all right, cool. And then I know, so you follow up with Black Radio 2. And then also, I think that same year you were on, you know, Kendrick's Depend Butterfly. Actually, yep. you guys won for that, for These Walls. Um, yep. I, my buddy just wrote Kendrick's uh, biography. If you ever had a chance, check that out. Um, I'm reading. It's well. You, you, wait, 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 which which one are you talking about for for Pippa Butterfly? Marcus Moore. It's uh, the Butterfly Effect. Butterfly Effect. Yeah, I, I'm started. I started reading it already. Really? Yeah, he works yeah. up at Bandcamp up at uh, in Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, no, he 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 interviewed me for the out for the for the book. So oh, man, you're in there. Yeah, oh. yeah. So he sent he sent it to me a few. He sent it to me like last week. I've oh, literally been I've literally been reading it all week. It's so it's such a good it's such a good book. Yeah, yeah. Marcus is a good dude. That small world. Absolutely. But anyway, Absolutely. yeah. Well, memories of of these walls really fast. I mean, you know, you had no idea, you know, to pimp butterfly would be such a man. <laughs> oh, I, mean, man. I feel like we'll be looking back on that, you know, decades from now. But uh, the absolutely fact you, the fact that you were playing keys on, on with him on that. Um, <laughs> exactly. You know, what, what was that like constructing that together? So so. It's crazy. I played on nine songs on that album. And I, when, when Good Kid, Matt City came out, Kendrick's first album, well, first major label album came out, Good Kid, Matt City, 
I called my, one of my boys, Terrace Martin, who's one of the main producers on that record. And I said, yo, Good Kid, Mad City, so dope. I love this album. When Kendrick does another album, I have to be a part of it somehow, some way. And he was like, bet, I got you. Fast forward, I'm in LA doing my record, Covered. It's a trio record I did live at Capitol Records. Um, and I did cover songs, trio. And during the, during the second night, I believe the second night, uh, it, that, those two, it, cover was two nights of recording, live with a studio audience. The first night, um, before I go in to record, John Mayer walks over to my session. He's <laughs> like, hey, I never met him before. He's like, hey, Robert, right? I was like, yeah, he's like, man, I'm a fan of your music. I'm recording my new album, Next Door, in Studio B, if you want to come by after you finish. I was like, bet. So I went by after I finished. I jammed with John for like two or three hours, just me and him, recorded it. And then the next day, Terrace calls me like, yo, when you finish your session, <laughs> come by Dr. Dre's studio. I'm here with Kendrick. And I was like, bet. <laughs> so <laughs> I jump in the car after I finish that and I drive over. And uh, Kendrick's there and they just start pulling up all these songs that they recorded. Um, Complexions and Mortal Man. Like, all, 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 no, Mortal Man was a different day. That was with the orchestra. But a, but a bunch of songs, I, you, um, this ain't free, blah, 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 that one, uh, a bunch of them. Anyway, so he would pull the song up and be like, listen to it and play what you hear. So I would listen to it and then in one take, I would play what I heard. I only did one take on each song. And then they used like nine, nine of the song, I only got credit for five, but it's cool. It was a fast, very fast thing. But these walls particularly, I did in Terrace's garage. I was at his house <laughs> and he said, yo, it was kind of a by chance, like, hey, you're here. You want to play keys on this song I did for Kendrick? And I was like, all right, cool. So he pulled it up and I started warming up on it. I just started playing like some scales and some fast kind of things, just kind of warming up and messing around with the changes for what I thought was before he started recording. But Terrace was recording me already. That's why when you hear the song, there's a, 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 roll, a solo in the middle of the song, a keyboard solo. And that's me playing the keyboard solo, but I didn't know I was playing a solo. That's my warm up, And they just cut it and put it in the song. See, just like you are a uh, you know, first take guy, they liked your warm up. <laughs> <laughs> they literally like my warm up. So that's what you hear, like literally my warm up. I didn't know that happened until the album came out. Because if you remember when the album dropped, it dropped surprisingly, no one knew. So it kind of dropped out of nowhere. It was like, oh, shit, the album's out. So when I heard it, I was like, oh, snap, there's a solo in the middle. I'm awesome. I made it. <laughs> Look, Ma. Look. That's so great. Well, I mean, oh, yeah. what I think so cool about it is, uh, you know, you've also been able to sort of transition in, onto the, the big screen. I'm a, I'm a huge movie guy. So how did, how did Don Cheadle tap you to do the Miles Davis uh, biopic? That's funny. Don texted, I mean, uh, he tweeted me. I didn't know him at all, but he talked to Vince Wilburn, a friend of mine, who's Miles Davis's nephew, and they were in cahoots and doing this movie. And my name came up, and Don was like, I love Robert's work, and he tweeted me like, hey, I love your trio album in my element. I was like, wait a minute, you're Don Cheadle. <laughs> and then, you know, we DM'd each other, started texting eventually, and then he was like, I'm working on this Miles Davis movie. Have you ever did a score before? And I said, yeah. And I literally have never done a score before. So I lied. 
<laughs> but uh, it worked out. We started working on it, and it was hard at first because he was in the middle of doing House of Lies. He was actually uh, directing some of those episodes. So, and at the same time, I was in Europe on a duo piano tour with Jason Moran doing duo piano concerts. So while I'm doing that, I'm going after the shows of me and Jason, I'm going to my hotel room trying to score a movie. And Jason at the same time was scoring Selma. So we would do our duo shows and then go to our hotel rooms and score movies. <laughs> but after that, you know, we, me and Don finally got in the room together and we were able to finish it up. And it was amazing, man. He's, a, he's such a great dude and he's, he's very uh, knowledgeable with music. He actually got a music scholarship uh, in college. So Don, Don, Don knows some, some of the stuff in, in music. So it was, it was, it was a smooth, a smooth ride doing that. And we actually won a Grammy for that for best soundtrack to a movie. We beat yeah. out like, we beat out like Suicide Squad and Straight Outta Compton and the Amy Winehouse story. Like Don didn't think we're going to win to the point. He didn't even go to the Grammys. He went and played golf. <laughs> and I told him, I was like, while I was getting dressed, I was like, yo, you got to come. He's like, man, I'm not going to those things. You know, I mean, people like Don are always walking somebody's red carpet, you know, so he's like, Ugh. I was like, well, if we win, you got to get dressed and come down and walk the red carpet with me. He was like, okay, if we win, got to be honest, I didn't think we were going to win either. I mean, Suicide Squad, Straight Outta Compton, Amy Winehouse, I'm like, we're not winning, but good try. And when we won, I called him from the stage. I'm like, we won. <laughs> so... <laughs> He got dressed and came down. And we, we went to walk the red carpet together. It was, it was such an awesome thing. And that kind of, that springboarded me doing other projects and documentaries and other movies, you know? Yeah, including uh, Ava DuVernay's uh, 13th, which got me, I think everyone listening to this, just stop what you're doing now and watch it. It's, it should be required viewing like in schools. That thing was amazing. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but you yeah. in common win, win the Emmy together for Letter to the Free on that. Um, yep. Talk about, uh, well, basically what I just said about how that documentary is so important. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a documentary called The 13th, basically about the 13th Amendment, which is, you know, basically talks about, uh, you know, the in, in, incarcerating of African-Americans and some of the laws and things that were passed to kind of make it impossible for you to deal with in, in that world of incarceration and all the, all the little laws they made to... Uh, stop the progress of African-Americans in, in those days, uh, which a lot of them are still implemented now. Um, so it's a, very, it's a very educational film and very important to watch. And a lot of things in there most people don't even know, you know. Um, and it's a great documentary. And shout out to Jason Moran. Jason Moran did the actual score of the documentary. Um, I ended up doing just the ending song. Uh, but the funny part about it, there's always a story with me with things, as you can see. But Oh, let's have it. I, I'm eating it up. <laughs> uh, I was in Houston with my son, uh, visiting family, and Common called me. He's like, hey, can you fly to L.A. now? Ava called me. She needs an ending song for this documentary. And I was like, I can't, man. And, you know, I, I was like, I have my son. And, you know, I travel a lot. So when I get time, when I get time with my son, I try to stick to it, you know because I'm always gone a lot, you know? So I was like, man, we just got here to Houston. We're seeing family. I can't come. I can't do it. And he was like, man, I'll fly to Houston. We'll do it in Houston. I was like, bet. We can do it here. Cool. You know, so he ended up getting on the plane. Him and Kareem Riggins, the producer, got on the plane, came down to Houston, 
and we went in the studio and came up with that song, uh, Letter to the Free. And then uh, like the next day they flew to New York, put Bilal on it and gave it to Ava and they ended up winning best song for a documentary. So I got an Emmy award. It was awesome. It, like, and what, what's crazy about the Emmy award is that unlike other awards, like when you watch the Grammys, you know, they have a Grammy on stage for people to grab and say their speech, but that's not your Grammy. It's not inscripted at all. You give it back backstage. All shows, you give your award back backstage, all the major ones. You give your award back backstage, and then they send you your Grammy four months later. <laughs> that has your inscription in it. You know, they send that to you later. The Emmy, when you get the Emmy on stage, you take that bad boy with you back to your seat. Wow. And it's heavy. <laughs> and what they do, what they do, it's not an ins- it's not inscripted on the thing. What they do, they a few months later they send you uh, a a thing you have to screw on that has you know your name and what you won for and all that. But the actual statue you take home with you that night. You take <laughs> it home with you right when you leave the stage from saying thank you. You take it back to your seat. It's really weird, and it's like sitting on your lap next to somebody who probably just lost and it's weird but <laughs> yeah I've heard, that's bizarre yeah i mean i've heard awards called hardware but in that you literally have to put it together <laughs> you literally and then you and then i had to get on the plane with it and i and i for some reason at the after party you first of all you go to the after party with your award and everybody's sitting at the after party at the tables with their food with this award and it's not small and, you know, I didn't know they had these boxes you can put the award in that you had to ask for at the party. That never, that information never really got to me. So I put my Emmy like in a gym bag and went, and when I flew back to New York the next day, I had to put it to the metal detector. <laughs> you know, everybody's like, the people that are working there like, what is this? Oh, they had to open it and they pulled it out. Everybody around was like, oh my God, that's an Emmy in your gym bag? Dude, you know, it's weird. It's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> that's great that, that little a, a, a time to show off a little at the at tsa exactly exactly <laughs> well you got the you got the emmy you got the grammy man we, let's find a way to get you an oscar and a tony and get you that egot thing you're halfway 100 percent. i'm halfway there like bon jovi said living <laughs> on a prayer <laughs> yeah that's sure. up on your ipod after david bowie uh, <laughs> definitely Awesome, man. Well, you've been generous with your time. I appreciate it. Uh, this was great. Uh, tons of good stories in there that I can use. So, um, <laughs> again, everybody, it's uh, Robert Glasper. Thank you, sir. Yep. That was great. No worries. Thank you so much. Appreciate right. it. Talk to you later. Word up. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.
I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.